Amen. Lord's blessed us with another beautiful day, hasn't he? <laughs> Are any of you getting just a little bit weary of the current caustic culture here in America? Maybe more than a little bit weary? It seems that so many people feel it's not only their right, but their responsibility to vent their disdain for any people or movements with which they disagree. People vaunt their own views on politics, the pandemic, and really just a plethora of other issues, all the while demeaning anyone who has an opinion different than his own. I don't know about you, but I find it difficult at times to read the news or to look on social media or listen to certain podcasts without feeling like I want to go take a shower. I want to go take a shower and just wash off all this muck that's been thrown around in very public forums. Have you ever wondered where do such ugly attitudes, where do such angry words, where do such demeaning actions come from? Is your Bible open to the book of Galatians? We're going to begin this morning with chapter 5 briefly. Thank you, Pastor Mark, for leading us so well through Galatians 5, 16 through 26 this past Sunday. The passage that Pastor Mark preached last Sunday sets us up for this passage today in Galatians chapter 6. If you found Galatians chapter 5 already, let me read just briefly verses 19, 20, and 21. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, you listening, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of God. Let me repeat some of those words. The works of the flesh are evident. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Do any of those descriptors fit our current caustic culture? Would you say, boy, that sounds like the world in which we're living? Where, where do these ugly attitudes come from, these ugly words? The Word of God says here in Galatians 5 that they're works of the flesh. People whose hearts are still dominated by the sinful nature who have not yet been gripped by God's grace, they do not yet have the Holy Spirit, demonstrate these works of the flesh. But if we have been redeemed, if we have been redeemed by God's amazing grace, if we have the Holy Spirit as individual Christians and as the family of Christ, how will we be different? 
What will life look like for us? The next couple of verses in chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so here in this passage that Pastor Mark preached last week, there is a sharp contrast. There's a sharp contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The reason I wanted us to back up to chapter 5 is I, to get a running leap into chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. As the church of Jesus Christ, as the family of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. What does it say in 25 and 26 of chapter 5? If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We as individual Christians and we as the church of Christ, the body of the Lord Jesus, are to keep in step with the Spirit. So what does that look like? What does that look like in real practical ways? I think that's what the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is going to do in chapter 6. He's going to show us in very practical ways what it looks like in the lives of us as individual Christians, but also in our life together as the church. What does life look like for us if we are keeping in step with the Spirit? Now, I realize I'm not catching everything in this passage of chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, but so that we have these pegs on which to hang our memory, I'm going to ask us to think about this. How does keeping in step with the Spirit shape the use of our time, the use of our emotional energy in Christ's family. And then we want to ask another question, and that's this. How does keeping in step with the Spirit shape the use of our money, our resources in the church? So, if you want to think of one big question this morning, it is this. How will the church look different than the world if we are keeping in step with the Spirit? How will we be different? First, how does keeping in step with the Spirit shape the use of our time and our emotional energy as Christ's family? Verse 1 again. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. What's going on here? Now, I think it's tempting to read a verse like that if anyone is caught up in a trespass. And what, what are some of the first questions that come to your mind? Well, what, what kind of trespass? What sin is being alluded to here? And who is this? Well, that's not the issue in this verse. Uh, we don't know who it is. We do know it's a brother in Christ or someone that professes to be a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. So here's someone within the church. We're not talking about people out there. We're talking about among us as the people of God, as the church, if one of us gets caught up in a transgression, whatever transgression it might be, what's supposed to happen then? <clears throat> if we are keeping in step with the Spirit, how do we respond when one of our own is caught in a sin? 
You know, over the years of being a pastor, I've seen a variety of uh, responses, some more commendable than others. And I'm speaking, including myself here. You know what the temptation is sometimes if I become aware of a particular brother or sister caught in a sin? It's just ignore it. Maybe it'll go away, you know. It's going to cost me so much time. I mean, if I get involved in this situation, it's, it's going to be draining. Maybe, maybe I don't need to get involved. And we just kind of look the other way and pretend it didn't happen. Or another response is we avoid, avoid that person who's caught in a sin. We acknowledge that it's there, but we retreat to our ivory towers, refusing to get involved personally. Um, you know, and maybe having an attitude, something like that. No way I'm getting involved in that one, in that situation. He made his bed. He can sleep in it. I've got better things to do with my time. I've got another th enough other things on my plate than try to help him get out of the mess he got himself into. Can't believe he did that. I sure wouldn't do that. And we have this proud, harsh approach to the sinning brother, the sinning Christian um, by the way, when you think about that attitude, friends, Christian friends, aren't you glad the Lord Jesus didn't say that about you? Am I not glad he didn't say that about me? He made his own mess. Let him get himself out of it. No, Jesus came to seek and to save those that were lost. And now as the Holy Spirit comes and permeates the church, as we keep in step with him, we're going to reflect the good shepherd. We're going to reflect Christ. It says in verse 1, you who are spiritual should restore him. And you read verse like that, you are spiritual. And you, I thought he was going to talk about me for a minute. <laughs> you know, those spiritual people, that must be some little elite group of super Christians in the church, right? You are spiritual. There's this little, I don't know who they are, but, but there must be this little band of really strong Christians, and, and I'm not one of those, so I'm, I'm going to bow out on this one. We'll, we'll let that elite group take care of this problem. Uh, let me just back up a minute with you. How many Christians have the Holy Spirit? We all do. Now, clearly, though, here, Paul's alluding to some in the body of Christ who, at this time, are in a better place spiritually than this brother, this sister that's been caught in a sin. So none of us can bow out of this um, gospel responsibility to go pursuing the brother, the sister that's been caught in a sin. It could be any of us. It could be any of us who takes up the responsibility of seeking to restore that brother, that sister. We all have the spirit. Are you currently in a, a place, a condition, a place on the path where you could help this erring brother, this erring sister? What's, what's our aim? So you say, you know what? There's someone in my life group, or I have this friend, or I have this family member who's caught up in a sin, and by God's grace... I think the Spirit could use me to help him, to help her right now. What, what is our aim? What is our goal whenever we have a brother or sister come to our attention who's caught up in a sin? The word's restore. It's a very positive concept. The word restore means to take something that's broken and make it usable again. Take something that's broken and make it usable again. And 
And we all know what that means. Back in the ancient times, they would use this word for things like mending a torn fishing net or fixing a broken bone, setting a broken bone. Take something that's broken and make it useful again. And so here's a brother or sister in Christ who's maybe been confessing a sin or maybe confronted about a sin. And we're aware of that, and we realize this is my brother, this is my sister, this is my Christian friend who's been caught up in this sin. And, and the Lord wants me to be an instrument in his hand in doing what? Restoring him. Restoring her. That he wants us to reflect him and this love for that person. And how are we supposed to approach him? So some of you have done this before. Some of you, this is a new concept. You mean I'm supposed to get involved in helping an erring brother, an erring sister, get back on the path? She's wandered away. He's wandered away. I'm supposed to get involved somehow to help bring him back to the path? Quite likely, yes. At some point in your life, you could well be one of the restorers. This isn't reserved for just a small elite group within the church. It could be any of us who carries out the Christ-reflecting, spirit-empowered ministry of restoring. And so we go to that brother, we go to that sister, and how do we approach him? How do we approach her? Now, some of you, this doesn't fit your personality. For some of us, it might be a bit more bombastic. Maybe we can picture ourselves doing this, you know, something like, I can't believe you did that. What in the world were you thinking? I would never do that. Now, I want to confess publicly, I remember years ago as a pastor, there was a particular situation here in our church where um, a Christian was caught in a sin, and my first thought was, how in the world could she do that? And I want to tell you publicly this morning that the moment that thought went through my mind, the Holy Spirit went, Larry, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And it scared me. The Holy Spirit lovingly scared me about my own frailty, the possibility that I could, I could commit that sin. And the Lord humbled me that night to say, none of us is above any sin. And so the word of God says here that we are to restore that person in a spirit of gentleness, not a harshness, gentleness, that we treat that erring brother, that erring sister, the way we would want to be treated. If we're harsh and demeaning and scolding, it's likely to just drive him or her farther away. And yet they need Christ and they need the church and the whole restoration process, so why would we drive them out so suddenly? There's cases of church discipline, but they're so rare, my friends. They are so rare. Then in the ebb and flow of the Christian life, the ministry of restoring is actually much more frequent. That a Christian brother, Christian sister says, I, I've sinned in this way. Could you help me? I've wandered off the path. Could you help me? Could you help me get back on the path? And we, all of us who have the spirit of we're in a better place right now, we can come alongside that brother, that sister, and say, let me help you. It's not only gentleness, but it's humility. Did you notice what the apostle said here? He said, keep, keep an eye on yourself as a restorer. You don't fall into the same sin or maybe fall into the sin of pride. And 
I'm not sure which it is here, but either one will qualify. Make sure as you're restoring that you're humble. Forgiven sinners forgive sinners. And if we realize I'm approaching you in your sin as a fellow sinner, I might not be currently committing that same sin you're, you've just committed, but I'm a sinner. I've sinned in other ways, or maybe that sin in other times. But we approach one another with humility, and the humility to acknowledge, I need to guard my heart above all. Guard your heart. That with humility and gentleness, we help that brother, that sister. My friends, if we as a church are keeping in step with the Spirit, we are going to care for one another. We are going to care for one another's souls. The author of Hebrews said this. He said, take care, brothers, sisters, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but exhort one another. You could translate that, encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called the day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We are our brother's keeper. We are our sister's keeper. If we're keeping in step with the Spirit, he's going to shape us, mold us, to reflect the good shepherd who goes after the wandering sheep. And we're going to reflect Christ as we pursue the erring brother, the erring sister. Can I ask you a personal question right now? Don't answer this out loud, but who's got your back right now? Who is in your life that you know if you got off the path would come to you and say, hey, Larry, I think you're getting off the path, or it seems to me you may be getting off the path. Can I help you get back on the path? Who's got your back right now? Who's in your life that you are pretty confident would come to you and help restore you if you got caught in a sin? Let's flip that coin over. Whose back are you watching right now? Are you involved with brothers and sisters in Christ? Probably for most of us right here at CCC. Do you say, I'm close enough to him, I'm close enough to her that by God's grace, I, I would pursue him. I would pursue, pursue her if I noticed that he or she is caught up in a sin. Friends, I know that we're living in unusual days. With this pandemic and all the social distancing, relationships have been more distant maybe than ever in our lifetimes. But there are ways. There are ways to have that loving care for one another. Um, I know our life group has met consistently through this pandemic, outside or online, yes. But to check with one another, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? How's this going? How's that going? And if you're here or listening to me today saying, I, you know what, Pastor Larry, I, I can't think of anybody. I, I can't think of anybody who's got my back. And quite frankly, I don't think I'm watching anybody else's back. Can I lovingly offer to you my help, the help of the other pastors, to help you connect with some people so that we can walk this journey together, keeping in step with the Spirit. It's going to cost us time, isn't it? It's going to cost us emotional energy. Quite frankly, restoring an erring brother, an erring sister can be emotionally draining. But this is a ministry 
that it's a fruit of the Spirit as we keep in step with him because he's making us more and more like Jesus Christ. Now in verse 2 of Galatians 6, in verse 2, it's like the Apostle Paul keeps that theme going, but he just broadens it out. He says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So he takes the same principle we saw in verse 1 and just broadens it out to apply to lots of different situations. Paul's made a strong case in the book of Galatians, as you know and I know, that we Christians are not under the law of Moses. <coughs> but not being under the law of Moses does not mean that we are lawless. Christians are not lawless. Oh, we, we are accused of that at times, but it's not true, is it? We actually have a higher law than the law of Moses, don't we? We have a higher law, the law of Christ. The law of Christ guides us on our journey, shows us the boundaries, shows us the goal, enables us to keep on the path. I think of it this way. It's, it's as if our ears are tuned to the commands of Christ, the words of Christ, and our eyes are fixed on the example of Christ. And so Christ is our leader. He's our shepherd. And so we're listening to him and we're watching him. John says it this way in 1 John chapter 2. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so the law of Christ guides us. And I think in particular the law of Christ, of all the commandments of Christ, the one that undergirds it all, permeates it all, is overall, is that command that Jesus gave hours before the cross when he looked at his followers and he said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And then he clarifies, he says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then he says this amazing thing. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so if we as individual Christians and if we as the church are keeping in step with the Spirit, he's going to be shaping us, molding us, empowering us to reflect the love of Christ that we will be loving one another the way Christ loves us. And we'll be looking for ways to carry one another's burdens. And you might ask, well, Pastor Larry, what kind of burdens? It could be any kind of burden. There might be someone in the body of Christ who has financial burdens or maybe emotional burdens or maybe just needs the help loading a truck or something. But we'll be looking, whatever we can do, looking for opportunities to reflect the love of Christ Christ has loved me. Now, how can I show the love of Christ to my brothers and my sisters? That's keeping in step with the Spirit. A church that's keeping in spirit looks for tangible ways to reflect the law of Christ, to reflect the love of Christ. And then in verses 3 through 5, I think we see the Apostle Paul coming back to this issue of humility. They're unusual verses. Did you notice them? Did any of you have questions about these verses? Me too. Verse 3, 4, and 5. But if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And we think, well, didn't he just say bear one of those birds and now he says bear your own load? He's using different words there, and I think he has two different focal points. When he says, bear one another's burdens, I think he's talking about the current situation. We're on our journey. We're on our journey toward heaven, and we're walking through this, I call it the era between the gardens, between the Garden of Eden and the garden yet to be revealed. It's a fallen world. There's challenges, many, how did Newton say it? Many toils and snares. And we're helping one another on our journey. But one day, we'll arrive at our destination. And at that point, I think Paul's issue here in verses 3, 4, and 5 is, on that day, we're all, gonna, we're all going to give an account for ourselves. Our son has been no, noted for the years with his wit. And I remember at the dining room table one time when the kids were growing up, we were talking about this issue. And, with tongue-in-cheek, I'm sure, our then-teenage son says, we don't compare ourselves to other people nearly as much as most people do. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, David. <laughs> we all have a tendency to compare ourselves to other people. And, uh, you know, it's like, well, I, I, I'm not perfect, but I think I'm better than she is. I, I think I'm better off than he is, you know. And, and, you realize what Paul's saying here, I think, in these verses is when we stand before the Lord on that day, each of us is going to be carrying his own load. Um, we're not going to be saying, well, Lord, uh, I know if you examine me too closely, you're going to notice some faults, but okay, I just want to point out to you, uh, my, my friend over here, my, my friend over here, he, he blew up more than I did. I mean, his faults are bigger than mine, Lord. You know, I think I did better than he did. I think I did better than she is you know there's not going to be any finger pointing on that day. Each of us is going to, get a, get, going to give an account for himself or herself. We're all going to. Um, and so rather than boasting, I'm better than he is, I'm better than she is, the church of Jesus Christ, as we keep in step with the Spirit, we will be marked with a Christ-like humility. We're going to be marked by a Christ-like humility That will be the attitude on Judgment Day. No self-promotion. And I think of uh, Jesus and his disciples. And did you know? Well, let me do this. Do you? Some of you will remember this. Do you remember that night Jesus washed his disciples' feet? That was the night before the cross. That was hours before the cross. And John, in his prologue to that narrative, says that Jesus, knowing full well where he had come from, he'd come from heaven. He was regal, royal. He knew full well where he was going. He was going back to heaven. He was going to be exalted at his Father's right hand. Knowing full well that the Father had put all authority in his hands, got up, stripped down till he looked like a slave, and began to wash his disciples' dirty feet. That was on Thursday evening. Less than a week before, Jesus and his men were making their way to Jerusalem from Jericho, that long last leg of the long journey, to Jerusalem for the Passover in which Jesus would be killed. 
And on the way up the hill, do you know what Jesus' followers were arguing about? Which one was greater? Jesus, uh, when you come into your kingdom, can I, can, I, can, I, can I have that chair right beside yours? Could I have a throne right, right beside yours? Wait, wait, he's got no right to ask you for that. I, I want to I be the one to sit at your right hand. And they're arguing this. And Jesus said to his men on that last leg of their journey to Jerusalem, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, men, that's so worldly. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And now this night before the cross, he's stooping to wash his disciples' dirty feet. And when I read that passage in John 13, I, I sometimes wonder how many times in my life have I exalted myself when I should be stooping to wash my brothers' and sisters' feet. That a church led by the Spirit, a church keeping in step with the Spirit, individual Christians keeping in step with the Spirit, are marked by humility. I read this saying one time from a South African pastor. He said, a proud follower of a humble Jesus. This I must not. This I cannot be. We cannot be proud followers of a humble Jesus. That the church should be marked by a sweetness, a gospel sweetness, a gospel humility. Keeping in step with the Spirit means that as the family of Christ, as individual Christians, and as a church as a whole, we will be marked with a Christ-reflecting love for one another, a humble love for one another, where we're seeking opportunities to serve one another, even if it means getting down in the dirt and, and brushing off our brother or sister who's fallen into the pit, helping him or her get back on the path leads to life. Will it cost us our time and our emotional energy? Oh, yes. Just like it cost our Lord to come and redeem us. But what about verses 6 through 10? Keeping in step with the Spirit will shape also the use of our money, our resources in the church, in the family of Christ. Verse 6, let each one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. If we are keeping in step with the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is Christ-like generosity. Rather than being dominated by the flesh and having fleshly attitudes, it's my money, I earned it, I'm keeping it. The Spirit moves us to reflect Christ, the generous Christ, and being generous with others. And in this verse, he points out that those who are taught, sharing with those who teach. One of our granddaughters asked me just recently, I, she came down to my office at home and I was working on a sermon, probably the last time I preached a couple weeks ago. And she says, Papa, how long does it take you to prepare a sermon? <laughs> how long does it take you to prepare a sermon? And I said, sweetie, I think your Papa is maybe a slow learner. <laughs> But it normally takes me anywhere between 15 and 25 hours. Depending on the length of the passage, the difficulty of the passage, 15 to 25 hours. 
That's just my average. Some pastors could probably put together a wholesome biblical sermon more quickly. Some might take longer. And quite frankly, there have been weeks where there's a particularly difficult passage that I've spent more than 25 hours. It takes time to feed the people of God. Sometimes it takes a lot of time. Can, can I tell you my personal story here? Some of you who have been friends for decades know this story, but some of you don't. In 1981, 39 years ago, when I was asked to come pastor Christ's Covenant Church, uh, this was the deal. <laughs> this was the deal. Larry, we can't pay you anything, but would you come? How's that? <laughs> we can't pay you anything, but would you come? The church at that point, the nascent Christ Covenant Church, had maybe 20 people meeting at the shopping center down near Dairy Queen. I had a good job. We owned our own home. We were at a good church. But I felt called. It wasn't an easy decision. We had a toddler son. Gladine was eight months pregnant with our second, Janelle. And to walk away from a career, to walk away from a church, to walk away from our home state and move back to Indiana was not an easy decision. But I believe the Lord was calling us, and that was affirmed by the church where I was doing the internship, as well as the receiving church, Christ's Covenant. And so I got a job at the Old Owens. And I would work at night, unloading trucks, stocking shelves, and in the daytime, I would be preparing messages to feed God's people. And back then, this wasn't only our church, back in the early 80s, lots of churches had Sunday morning and Sunday evening services. And so in the morning, I would have sequential exposition, we'd work through books of the Bible, and then on Sunday evenings, I would lead the church through topics that I felt like we needed as a young church. Doctrinal issues, practical issues like marriage, and so every week I was preparing at least two messages while working at Owen's supermarket. And I didn't get much sleep that year. And it was hard on our family. And I regret now for how hard it was for Gladine and our two oldest kids that they didn't see much of me. And I slept an average of maybe four hours a night. And I think we were going on spiritual adrenaline. I don't know how else to explain that, but the church was growing that first year. There were exciting days. And after almost exactly a year in, one of our first deacons came to our house one evening and he said, he said, Larry, he said, what is the least amount of money you think you and your family could live on? <laughs> and we crunched some numbers and we came up with a rather modest figure and he said, I think we can do that. And I went to my boss at Owens and I said, thank you so much for hiring me from this past year, but I'm putting in my two-week notice. What a blessing. What a blessing. I didn't mind working in a supermarket. It's good, honest work, right? But what a blessing to be freed up, to be freed up from that outside employment so I could devote more of my time to feeding God's people without sacrificing unnecessarily my health or my family. And now 39 years have gone and 38 years since that point, and, and you folks and your predecessors here at CCC have shown such love for God and for his word that you love being fed God's word and the love for your pastors 
that you have continued to enable us to be freed up, most of us to be freed up from outside employment. Thank you. That's not only an expression of love for the pastor, but I think that's a, an indicator of your love for the church, that the people can be fed well. That if we're keeping in step with the Spirit, we're going to be marked with a Christ-like generosity. And that's not just true for the pastors. Let's read some more verses here. Verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever you sow, what, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh, we already read about the flesh, <clears throat> will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And now Paul's going to do the same thing. He's been very specific, care for your teachers, but now he's going to broaden it out. And he's going to say, if you're keeping in step with the Spirit, you're going to be marked by Christ-reflecting generosity. And I think of what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in his second letter, chapter 8, verse 9. He said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus Christ. But I, I've often wondered what the angels thought that uh, night before he entered Mary's womb. <laughs> when Jesus took off his royal robe and laid it aside, when he laid down his scepter, when he stepped off of his throne, walked away from the accolades of the seraphim, holy, holy, holy and entered the womb of that young Jewish virgin where the angel's wondering, what is Master doing? Why is he doing that? that? Though he was rich and all the glories, all the privileges of heaven, yet for your sake, my sake, he became poor. That's our Lord Jesus. And the Holy Spirit continues his work of transforming us to be like him. If we're keeping in step with the Spirit, we as Christians, we as the church, will be marked by generosity. And you say, well, that's costly, Pastor Larry. Yeah, it is. And it cost him too, didn't it? And then Paul ends this application portion of the book of Galatians by saying this in verses 9 and 10. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let's do good to everyone, and especially to those of the household of faith. It's true that showing Christ-reflecting, gospel-empowered love in tangible ways, giving up our time, giving up our emotional energy, giving up our maybe our reputations, giving up our resources, our money, it's costly, but it's a joyful payment because we remember how our Lord came and sacrificed for us. And the apostle here says, in due season. He's almost surely referring to that day when we stand before our Lord. Friends, I know there's a handful of you that are older than I, but most of you are younger than I. And as you go through life serving the Lord, there's times you just get plain weary. You just get plain weary. Not only the expenditure of time and emotional energy and maybe even your personal resources, but sometimes you think, 
Where are the, where's the result? There have been times when I've poured myself into a wayward sinner who never did repent, but went the way of the world. Or give of our resources, our personal resources, to help someone who never said thank you, never passed it on to someone else. And you think, you know what, this, this is hard. Why am I doing this? Why am I sacrificing when I don't see results? And the Apostle Paul says in due season, friends, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. And if we're going to persevere, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus as we run our race with perseverance. We fix our eyes on Jesus, looking forward to seeing him. And some of you have heard one of my life commitments that I don't always follow, but one of my life commitments is this. I want to live for that one. I want to live for that day. And I want to live for those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. To live for that one, that day, and those words. And please help me on my journey. If you see me faltering, say, Pastor Larry, can I run with you for a while? Can I help you for a while? Keep your eyes fixed. Keep your eyes fixed, Pastor Larry. We're not home yet. The day's coming when we'll see our Savior. And we'll hear those most blessed words. Don't, don't quit. Don't, don't give up on doing good things, doing right things for his glory. And Paul ends this passage by saying, do good to everyone. Do good to people outside the church too. But don't ignore people within the body of Christ. Don't ignore people within the church, especially those who are of the household of faith. It's interesting what Paul wrote to Titus. He said that Jesus redeemed us so that we would do good works. We are to reflect our Savior in all these ways. Friends, what's the Holy Spirit doing with you today? <clears throat> Sometimes I think he uses... <clears throat> Sometimes I think the Holy Spirit uses the sandpaper of grace, as I call it. <laughs> it's grace, but it feels like sandpaper sometimes. When he takes the gospel and he, he polishes us with it. He, he polishes us like we're mirrors reflecting the Savior. And he does that to us individually, and sometimes he does that to us as a church, that he takes the sandpaper of grace and he polishes us because he wants us, he wants us to increasingly, more brightly reflect Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's transforming us to be more like Christ. Do you feel the tug of the Spirit to the day, uh, today, maybe in the realm of how you show love to an erring brother, or how you carry the burdens of another Christian. Is he calling you to be more generous with your time and what I'm calling your emotional energy? Or is he maybe tugging on you to be more generous with your resources that you look now and you say, you know what, I think I've been a bit stingy. I need to reflect the generosity of my generous Savior more faithfully, more consistently. Is he tugging on you today? The Holy Spirit helps us on our journey to follow Christ more clearly.
Or maybe some of you today are listening to me and you say, Pastor Larry, as I hear you talking, I realize I'm still in the flesh. I haven't been dominated by the Spirit. I'm not keeping in step with the Spirit. I'm still following my sinful desires. Turn to Christ today. One of the, one of the blessings of seeing Christ is to realize how willing he is to forgive sinners. Don't hesitate. Come to him today. He will save you. I was recently reading Philippians chapter 2 in a translation I don't normally read, the New Living Translation. Not the Living Bible, the New Living Translation. And I was blessed to read Philippians 2 so much that I thought, I think I'll read that as I close today. And so let me read this passage from Philippians 2. You just listen to it carefully, and then the worship team will come, and Pastor Mark will bring a word of benediction. The word of God says in Philippians 2, beginning at verse 1, listen carefully to the wording. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Here's a key verse to remember. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as his. And then Paul describes Jesus. Though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to, be, something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. And then this glorious news about our Savior, therefore God elevated him to the highest, the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. My Christian friends, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. You could have left us in the dark, but you were so gracious in letting us know you, letting us know ourselves, and letting us know how to be right with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for not leaving us as orphans, but giving us your Holy Spirit to indwell us individually, but also as a church. And Lord, continue to help us as a church to walk in step with your spirit, and that we might, by the Spirit's enablement, reflect your Son, Jesus Christ, and how we love one another, and how we love the people around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.